0: so I hope you enjoy the episodes and feel free to subscribe for your Jewelry Navigator passport, a way to stay up to date with the current episodes and upcoming features. Thanks so much for joining us and enjoy the episode. Hey there and welcome to this week's Jewelry Navigator podcast. I have a very special guest today and I'm very excited to share his story. But first, I just want to welcome everybody I hope you're all staying well and staying busy. I feel like his story, my guest story this week, will help you kind of give you some direction on maybe revisiting your brand message. We get so busy in the regular times that we don't have a lot of time to kind of review what direction we're going in. This might be the perfect opportunity to do that. This week's guest on Jewelry Navigator podcast is Alan Simich, founder of Alan Simich Photography. His specialty is portraying images of jewelry, fashion, fine art, and portraiture. His photography speaks through images, allowing his subject's voice to share stories and impact the lives of those who see his work. Alan serves his clients and collaborates with his professional community through a unique background based on his perspective gained through photography experience along with firsthand life crisis. Raised in Germany after his family escaped the Bosnian genocide, Alon's experiences and upbringing enables him to share his clients' narrative through a lens of compassion and understanding which elevates his relationships with his clients for successful campaigns and images. While his photography is used as a marketing tool to create successful branding and product campaigns, Alan also serves the communities in which he works through collaborative efforts. He's contributed to jewelry independent, Panels which serve emerging and independent jewelry designers on various marketing and business topics. Most recently, he teamed up with Larissa Wurstiak of Joy Joya Marketing on Metal and Smith's Instagram live feed and a presentation to share how jewelry designers and businesses can adapt their efforts through the COVID-19 crisis i know you'll find alan's story inspiring and find his branding and photography advice helpful thanks so much for tuning in and welcome aboard
1: well let's start let's start from where you are now and explain to everybody what you do and um first i'll i'll I'll, i'll tell everybody how I initially saw you mm-hmm. and found you. And it wasn't, I didn't know who you were. I just knew you from the photographs that you take of the mm-hmm. designers mm-hmm. Who, um, who you take beautiful images of for their jewelry on Instagram. And as mm-hmm. I look through, I'm on your website right now, as I look at especially your portraiture, Mm-hmm. Your your gift of capturing someone's you can just see right into their soul and but oh, thank it's you. a very it's a very um you can see their joy you can see what makes them happy and that mm-hmm. must be that takes a a true gift to capture so I'm gonna oh, thank let you, you. yes. I'm going to let you tell everybody what you do now and then we'll kind of back it out and we'll um, we'll go touch on your background and then come back in and have you share some of your insights on how you help designers in the jewelry industry and some of your uh, tips and ideas to help them grow and flourish, whether they're just mm-hmm. beginning or whether they're an, an established designer. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay.
2: So I am a fashion jewelry photographer, and I've had my own business now for the last four years. Prior to doing this, I was a producer and I was producing uh, photo shoots that were both editorial and commercial. And uh, my background is Initially in photojournalism, but in recent years I've obviously transitioned to commercial work and I used to work for photographers like Steve McCurry and I learned quite a bit about the commercial side of photography through that experience, which is what led me into production. Um, Four years ago I set out to uh, start my own business because I felt that I was ready and I felt that I had learned quite a bit about the inner workings of the industry. And when I made that leap, uh, a lot of, uh, not a lot of, but several clients from my uh, from studio where I used to work as a producer had uh, decided to follow me along on this journey. And it's been an absolute gift. So far, and mm-hmm. i i I don't regret for a single day doing this and setting out on my own you have
1: you un- you have unique experiences from your former career, just like you mentioned in photojournalism mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. your your childhood, which allow you to see your subjects through a lens of compassion and understanding while photojournalism gave you that platform to To Mm -hmm. grow on, there were some aspects of it that you found unsavory and that helped point you in a new direction. Can you tell us a little bit about those two components of what brought you to where you are now? Yeah,
2: um, so like you said, I have an unusual career trajectory for, I think, a lot of people doing the sort of work that I do now. I don't think there are a lot of uh, commercial photographers who uh, come from a documentary kind of background. Mm -hmm. um, I'm originally from Bosnia. My family lived through uh, the Bosnian genocide in the early 90s, and we eventually had made our way to Germany. Where I grew up, and um, part of what had driven me to pursue photojournalism initially as a career and um, for my education was what I felt was seriously lacking um, in the industry in the time was at the time and still to this day was a real uh, sense of uh, compassion and dignity for the subjects that were being covered by um a lot of the sort of establishment in that world Uh, and i don't think that you know every photojournalist is guilty of this i certainly think that there are incredible people who have a great degree of sensitivity towards their subjects and treat them with an extraordinary amount of dignity, and I think that that's important. There are photographers like Alexandra Avakian, who I have a tremendous amount of respect for because she approaches uh, all of her subjects with such care and respect. Um, Mm. But there are many more journalists who don't do that. And I felt very strongly that my unique perspective and background had... uh, would give me an advantage and had given me a perspective that was lacking. You know, a lot of people in uh, journalism in general, um, you know, they come from wealthy established families. Uh, They tend to be white men. They have uh, certain preconceived notions and uh, views, you know, about the rest of the world that many times uh, I find personally disagreeable. And uh, part of what fueled my passion for, for that industry was um, my, my strong feeling that I could provide uh, a greater degree of sensitivity and a different kind of perspective when covering uh, sensitive topics like, uh, you know, women and children in post-conflict zones and, uh, you know, matters of genocide, rape, uh, war, all of those of big big, heavy topics, poverty uh, stories that really uh, should be treated with a tremendous amount of care, I just felt were not for the most part
1: mm-hmm.
2: so that that's really what inspired me and sort of lit a kind of fire in my gut to pursue that as a career
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what's interesting is that because of your your compassion and your awareness of of paying respect and dignity to people who have suffered, it's, it's easily transitioned into who your current clientele is. And um, Mm -hmm. when we visited last week, just to get to know each other a little bit, you shared with me that not most, but all of your clients are women. And it Mm -hmm. didn't necessarily happen on purpose. I feel that your uh, your path kind of took you that way because you have that compassion and understanding of what some women may experience when starting in um, like a male-dominated industry like jewelry has been in the past. Certainly, it's starting to transition and become more equalized. But because you have that understanding, it gives you a really valuable perspective and a respectful understanding to begin from a um, a place of understanding for to work with women in the industry and be able to share their vision and their message in a very intimate but very realistic way through your photography mm.
2: well I yeah it, it's interesting when we had first discussed uh, doing the podcast and you had uh, asked me about my clientele and we raised the point and, and the fact that all of my clients are women, it was not something that I ever really consciously thought much about. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even knowing and being aware of the fact that this is a very male-dominated kind of industry. Mm -hmm. It was uh, something that, you know, as you said, it certainly didn't happen intentionally. And it uh, perhaps says, something about the kind of work that I produce for my clients. Um, I don't know the answers to those questions, and I don't pretend to. You know, for me, I always come from a place, especially having been raised by by refugees and, and caring a lot about good work ethic and that it's about the quality of the work that we produce rather than, you know, our background and our identities and all of those things. I always come at it from uh, a place of, you know, it's about what we do first and foremost. And I like to think that clients are first and foremost attracted to me because they uh, think that I produce, you know, a high level of quality product for them. Uh, So that's most important to me. But I also um, come at it from having have worked for male photographers in the past and those experiences were always uh, deeply enlightening to me because I think you don't realize just how much genuinely, and again, I don't like to uh, you know, dwell too much on matters of identity politics and that sort of thing, but it really, it really is the case that uh, my industry as well as the jewelry industry and just sort of fashion in general is male dominated and that there's a lot of misogyny and that there's a lot of mistreatment of women, um, especially when it, you're talking about the talent like models that are hired for photo shoots. And uh, there is such a serious lack of uh, empathy and and regard for for people who are lower uh, you know, in rank or down the ladder. And uh, that is, it tends to be much worse for them if they happen to also be women or, um, you know, women and men of color. Mm-hmm. That's one thing I've, uh, I've learned just through being in this business. Those things are true. Um, I don't think anybody who works in this industry would ever deny that that's not the case, not if they're truly being objective, and just observing what's happening around them. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, what was always really important that when I set out on my own, I would never um, create or allow for anybody else to create that kind of environment when I'm in charge. So I, I treat, I like to think uh, everyone with a great uh, deal of respect and that I am always sensitive to people who assist me on set, uh, my hair and makeup team, uh, the models that we photograph and their comfort level is important to me and that we have um, a great time uh, working together on shoot day. And Mm -hmm. that includes, you know, my clients. I want everybody to feel um, that there is a great deal of joy Uh, in the process because ultimately I find that we produce uh, a better product in the end when that is the case you know a lot of uh, photographers uh, tend to be very um, dominating uh, sort of personalities especially on set and you feel like that there's very little breathing room for uh, other people participating in the shoot to express themselves and their creativity as well and for me, what's important is that we have a wonderful uh, sense of what I always refer to as playmateship on set. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a joyous environment, and it's one where we are all working together to produce something. It's not about me, my ego, and you know, often times the photographer really does get all the credit, but I am nothing without my team. I'm nothing without the exceptionally talented hair and makeup people that I work with. I'm nothing without the brilliant uh, talent that we photograph. Uh, and I'm I'm nothing without even the people who uh, assist me. So that is the perspective from which I always come and that, that's how I approach every single project.
1: Since the luxury and jewelry landscape has evolved so rapidly over the past decade, what can you share with new and emerging brands so that they can build a foundation on which to create a presence on these platforms? So um, whether or not they have a budget to work with a professional Mm -hmm. photographer with you or, Mm -hmm. or not.
2: Well, uh, you, you raise uh, a very interesting and very important point in that, yes, uh, social media, uh, apps like Instagram, they've been completely game-changing for anybody who owns a small business. And they've been really, uh, for for most of us, a gift mm-hmm. in that they've allowed us to reach an audience with uh, very little uh, monetary investment. So instead of going through the tr- typical, traditional kind of pipelines of spending marketing dollars on advertising, etc., you can create your own uh, marketing on a platform like Instagram. That's wonderful. The downside of that is that you are now in a position where you have to create more content than you ever had to before. Mm
1: -hmm. So
2: that means you have to be constantly producing imagery or videos or content of some kind depending on the application that you're, you know, typically using where your business is, whatever the application is that's most effective for your business. But um, with that, I think uh, comes a new kind of stress and strain, not just on you in that you're running a small business, you're uh, a designer, and you're probably, you know, a one woman or one man show in the early stages and you're juggling a lot to begin with in addition to that you have to now also be your own marketing person and you have to produce content and you have to manage the content on those applications so there are new challenges that come with that i think it's an important point that you raise about um budget mm-hmm. i totally understand that uh, you know budgets are a real thing but part of the cost of doing business and getting yourself into a uh, luxury business which is what jewelry selling fine jewelry is it doesn't mm-hmm. matter what price point you are in it doesn't matter what audience you're trying to sell to you are selling a luxury good and there are certain trappings that come with that and part of the cost of doing business as a luxury you know brand is having to produce high-level content, mm-hmm. so that does mean that you should go into this and with uh, you know enough money to be able to produce that content. Mm-hmm. It's to me a terrible shame when I see a young designer who's produced a tremendous amount of you know fantastic. Uh, designs, and fantastic jewelry, and you've invested, uh, you know, all of that time, money, blood, blood, sweat, and tears, you know, as people say, into producing a collection, which is not an inexpensive undertaking, uh, especially if you're producing, you know, high, fine kind of jewelry, and then um, they skimp out on the photography. Mm -hmm. And it, to me, completely uh, is, them just shooting themselves in the foot because you've already done the hard work of you know i assume at that level being incredibly thoughtful investing uh, your time and money into producing you've probably gone through months and months and months of production and design and redesigning and you know to hone in on a strong collection and then you skimp out on photography which really undercuts all of that time and money spent on producing the collection because you have to understand that in this day and age the main way uh, people are going to interact with your design is via photographs online whether that's instagram or your website Mm -hmm. most of your potential customers are never going to see those pieces in person. They'll never get a strong sense of what your brand uh, is all about because they won't have the opportunity to meet you. They won't have the opportunity to get to know you, to hear about your design ethos, to hear you discuss those things. And the way to communicate that to a perfect stranger online is by having imagery that does all of that hard work for you. Mm-hmm. and uh, you therefore invest in high-quality product photography and then creative photography, whether it's the life or something on a model, a campaign of some sort that communicates the design ethos, the branding, the, the voice, the narrative, all of those qualities uh, efficiently within one image. You know, I, I should be able to go to your website and I should be able to see one photograph create a photograph, whatever kind of campaign that you've had shot. And I should instantly understand who you are as a designer, what you're all about, and who your target audience is. Mm. That is tremendously important. And it's important to be efficient in that sense, because uh, people have very uh short attention spans these days as we all know these are all things you know we've discussed ad nauseum at this point but people have short attention spans it's true and uh people are likely going to stumble across your website not knowing very much about you and not having ever heard of your brand before Mm -hmm. so it's Mm -hmm. more important than ever before to have um strong imagery that can compete, can cut through the noise, and can educate a potential consumer very, very quickly.
1: Okay, okay. I understand that. That makes a lot of sense.
2: That doesn't mean that all of the content you ever produce has to be uh, campaign level quality. It's sort of, I always think of it as um, it's kind of like an opera or a play in that if you hit those high notes, right at the beginning, you never really have to hit them again until the very end. Hmm. So if you, I can go to your website and I see the level of quality that you've produced on your site and in the imagery and in the design of the website and I see that this is a real proper professional business, you can then have more casual photography on something like an Instagram platform. Because typically on something like Instagram specifically, Uh, more casual sort of lifestyle content tends to do much better Mm -hmm. than something that is overly produced. That's just because of the nature of the audience that is on Instagram. But you can't then in turn have that sort of very casual content on a professional website, especially if that website is also housing your e-commerce platform. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, I understand the difference now. This is great education, Alon, because mm-hmm. I never would have separated, and I just am writing some notes down, I never would have separated campaign versus casual lifestyle photography because mm-hmm. I think we're so used to seeing that casual lifestyle styling of photography on Instagram. But you're right, when mm-hmm. I go to designers websites and I see the quality of photography and y- you understand mm-hmm. their um, you know their their voice and their narrative and, and the direction of their designs it's very clear on their website um, that's such a valuable aspect of understanding this type of photography for for branding purposes so thank you for differentiating mm-hmm. that for us
2: This particular question is one that I encounter constantly. And I always say to people, you know, you think of your website as your storefront. That's really what it is. Mm
1: -hmm. And
2: there are certain trappings that come with that. And it needs to be professional. It needs to be very well produced. It needs to be like when you walk into a jewelry store, a high-quality jewelry store. And there is definitely a strong sense of identity that you pick up on as soon as you enter a store like that, and that you see that in the store's design, and the way that they display the jewelry, in all of the you know other nuances and details that are present within the store, uh, everything from the furniture to the wallpaper to the you know lighting, all of those things, they immediately communicate to you one a level of quality, but also a vibe and uh, a kind of brand Uh, and design ethos you want to for the most part show and not tell really because that's the kind of society that we live in and you want to be able to convey information very very quickly and you do so with great photography Mm -hmm. and then Instagram is really the place that gives you an opportunity to create more personalized uh, relationships with your customer. You can show them what a piece looks on, you know, your hand. You can show them, oh, I'm wearing, you know, this great outfit and I paired it with this necklace, you know, that sort of thing. And you can establish uh, channels of communication there with your potential customer. You know, they'll comment on an image, you respond back, you develop relationships via DM. People can ask you questions on there freely and more casually than they would, you know, emailing you through your website. Mm -hmm. So it just gives you an opportunity to make that more personalized kind of connection. Mm -hmm. Whereas your website needs to just communicate uh, professionalism first and foremost, because again, that helps us also establish trust.
1: Once someone's established their voice and their narrative, and they have a strong presence on their website, how can they then still take quality photographs for their like lifestyle, social media images.
2: So I want to preface it by saying that there really aren't any hard and fast rules when it comes mm-hmm. to this. That there are designers who will hire professionals to produce content for their social media. And this is sort of how they get around you know challenges about producing their own content. And then if you're doing it on your own, and you're not an experienced photographer, and maybe you don't have you know, a, a proper DSLR camera of any kind, and you're just doing everything with your iPhone, which is totally fine. A lot of people do this, and they find success going about it that way. If all of that is the case, natural light is your best friend. Okay. Find a window and use natural light especially if you're indoors and you can get near a window where you've got uh, lovely soft natural lighting coming in through there during the day, that is going to be your best friend. It is going to be most forgiving and it's going to help somebody who is not a very experienced photographer produce pretty great-looking images, even just using your iPhone. So that would be my tip when it comes to um, a scenario like that. If we're talking about a trade show or a more niche uh, sort of environment, there's so many factors uh, that go into producing a good image of a piece of jewelry because it's dependent obviously on the lighting of the environment. It's dependent on what kind of piece of jewelry is it? Does it have diamonds? Does it not? Is it metal heavy? Is it not? You know, jewelry is inherently incredibly difficult to photograph even for people with experience doing so. So, There isn't sort of an easy, you know, quick and dirty kind of solution for shooting in a particularly challenging environment like a trade show. I think it'll just take a lot of trial and error until you figure Mm -hmm. out what works for your pieces. Mm -hmm. But if you're in an environment where you do have access to natural light, always, always defer to that. It'll be your, your biggest friend.
1: That's really good to know. Um, Jewelry is really difficult to photograph. Why do Mm -hmm. you think that is? Are there just different aspects like reflection off the metal? And it's really difficult, I find, to capture the color of a stone. And Mm -hmm. are those reasons why it is difficult to photograph? Yeah,
2: um, it is difficult for those reasons. It is metal. They're reflective surfaces. So there are reflections coming from all angles because of the shape of the thing, too. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're also working on such a small scale. Um, There are things about jewelry that we don't perceive with the naked eye that we can't necessarily see with, you know, a ring on our hands that are then revealed, you know, under the scrutiny of a high-resolution camera. Mm -hmm. especially, you know, with proper professional lighting and all of that. You start to see things that you would never notice otherwise, and you see sort of issues uh, with production. You know, jewelry, for the most part, is made by hand, so it's not perfect. All of those imperfections uh, become very evident when the piece uh, gets photographed. So there's the challenge of reflection, there's a challenge of uh, the kind of stone that you're working with and shooting. And then in addition to that, there's, uh, there's just the innate problem of jewelry being um, something that is typically of a very small scale. All of that impacts, you know, um, how you go about photographing the, uh, the, the piece itself. So yes, it is challenging, but I will say that if you go to a professional, it should absolutely not be challenging. <laughs> uh, you should you should be getting thing uh, you know a product that is accurate, that reflects the piece, that looks a little better than the piece you know does uh, in person, but not uh, to the point where you know you're uh, misinforming a potential consumer. Mm -hmm. And uh, matters of color accuracy, things like that, they should not even be something you think about. Like that needs to be a given. So if you're already going to a professional photographer and those things are an issue, Mm -hmm. you need to find somebody else. Because you Mm -hmm. should not be paying somebody uh, to be producing uh, content where you still have those problems. Mm-hmm. That should never be an issue when you're hiring a professional. I love shooting fashion in part because there are so many fewer uh factors that I have to consider as far as lighting goes, as far as you know positioning the piece, the model's poses on a jewelry shoot are very controlled and constrained because we have mm-hmm. to be very careful about. You know, getting the piece at the best angle possible given this particular lighting situation, given what she's wearing and her hair and all of those factors. So, fashion relative to shooting jewelry is liberating in that we can play with lighting, we can do all sorts of things with movement, and, you know, there's just a greater degree of freedom uh, because. You know, you're not dealing with uh, challenging materials, really. You right. know, most most fabrics are. You know, if you are an experienced photographer, they're brief to photograph, really, compared mm-hmm. to jewelry. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the, there's just it's just inherent in the thing, and metals. Stones, all of those qualities. And then the shape of the thing matters a great deal because that will inform the positioning of your lighting. And, you know, somebody who is experienced in this field um, uh, conquers all of those problems without really even having to think about them. They kind mm-hmm. of become, um, it becomes like an instinct. You know, mm-hmm. most of the time people hand me a piece of jewelry. I'm not even really thinking that hard about how this thing needs to get lit or whatever. I just sort of operate like a machine when I'm doing product photography because I've done it so much at this point and I've shot, you know, there isn't a style, a shape, a kind of piece of jewelry that I've not shot by now, four years in. There just really isn't. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you want to work with somebody who has that level of, uh, experience and confidence when it comes to doing the work. You Mm -hmm. don't want to work with somebody who walks into it saying, Well jewellery is hard to photograph.
1: Right. You know? Yeah. So that's a it's a big red flag. If someone A huge red flag, yes.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I would think of it as a red flag and I would say, maybe you're not the one for me, you know. Yes.
1: Yes, yeah. that's really good to know because I'm sure designers have come across that problem. So then they either give up or they just surrender to someone who's not going to give them the best produced photography for their jewelry. Mm-hmm.
2: And, and I think I, every, almost every single one of my clients has come to me um, having worked with somebody else for, sometimes for years and years and years and have said, well, this is, you know, the level of quality I've been getting and this is what I assume it just is unless you're, you know, a major, major brand and you can afford to spend, you know, tens of thousands of dollars on photography. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's not, you know, that's not really the case. There are so many talented photographers, especially, you know, in a city like New York. You really should not have um, that difficult a time finding somebody who's skilled and who can give you the level of quality that you deserve.
1: Knowing that mm-hmm. a designer needs to invest in some high-quality photography for their website. And without you know going into what you charge, what would be a general good starting fee for someone to expect for campaign-quality photography?
2: Oh, my gosh. Um, that is going to vary a lot. It's okay. going to vary from photographer to photographer. It's going to vary based on the photographer's experience level. It's mm-hmm. going to be, vary based on uh, their renown, how well-known they are, and the kinds of fees that they can command. It's going to be based on matters of terms of use, uh, which is something that you should also think about as a designer. Um, you know, when you're hiring a photographer, are those images going to be just used on your website and your social media? Or do you plan on, you know, putting up, uh, you know, a billboard somewhere in public? Or Do you plan on using them for paid marketing? You know, that sort of thing is going to change the, what we call in, in my business the terms of use.
1: Okay. And
2: we uh, develop uh, a write-up contracts based on what we know the images are going to be used for. And sometimes those terms of use expire after a year or something like that. So you'll be then asked to pay a fee to renew those terms so that you can continue to use those images. Um, Photographers never give up their copyright. Uh, It doesn't matter that you paid them for uh, for the shoot, whatever. Whatever the scenario is, uh, especially in the United States, if I'm the photographer, I own the copyright forever, unless I specifically sign it over to you. And if you're asking a photographer to sign over their copyright on those images, you're going to be paying a lot of money to do Uh so, because no photographer wants to give that up. I, as a photographer, I don't want to have to call my clients and ask them for permission to use images I've shot you know, for my own uh, marketing for promoting my services, you mm-hmm. know, so and it just creates a lot of complications when a photographer does give up uh, their copyright. So typically, professional photographers, if you're going to somebody who is a proper professional, will not give up their copyright. In rare instances where they do so, they will, however, you know, write up uh, a terms of use contract that basically allows you to use the images, um, you know, in perpetuity, as you see fit.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So you you shouldn't have to worry about like oh what if my photographer, whom I paid for the shoot, suddenly says I'm no longer allowed to use this image for that purpose. That really should not be a problem, and that would not be acceptable in a commercial photography scenario. So. If you're talking about something like product photography, those things are typically not an issue. There usually is not uh, an expiration on terms of use. It's like no, you use them, you know, forever. They're yours. Essentially, they're yours. I just own the copyright, but uh, you know, I would never not allow you to use them. Mm-hmm. So, and all of that would be explicitly stated you know, in a terms of use contract. And then, in addition, if we're talking about something like a campaign, uh, and depending on the scope of uh, the campaign, depending on how visible the designer is, and depending mm-hmm. on if that campaign is going to be used in paid marketing, the terms of use are going to vary a great deal. And in mm-hmm. uh, in scenarios on the super high end, they usually expire after one year. And if you want to continue to use those images, you have to pay a fee to renew those terms for another year or you know whatever the arrangement is if it's okay. a situation where you're just using them on your you know website and social media typically terms of use you know they don't expire and it's really not uh, an issue and uh, then out of courtesy really just out of politeness you would then say to the photographer oh i want to use one of those images uh, in this uh, magazine advert you know uh or a magazine wants to pull it uh from me for a little you know feature that they're doing on my designs you know can i do that um, no sane photographer would ever say no to that because it's also promoting their work so of course right. they're going to say yes but you know out of politeness it is uh something that you would ask because you know as a photographer you'd, you'd like to know what's happening with your work Mm -hmm. that you have produced for somebody else you like to know know where it's ending up and how it's being used Mm -hmm. and yeah so all of those are factors that are going to impact pricing you know on the low end you can expect to be paying you know if somebody is like a student fresh out of school they'll shoot a whole day for you for like five hundred dollars Mm-hmm. Is that necessarily the kind of person that you want to hire to, right. uh, you know, flesh out your brand? Uh, I would think twice about that.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, you know, on the more experienced level, it's going to be between two to $5,000. And then in addition to that, there may be, you know, um, matters of terms of use that add a fee and that sort of thing. So it's, there's a big range. And then if you're working, if you're hiring somebody who, is very well established you could be paying 10 grand you could be paying 20 grand you know Mm -hmm. it's just it just it's going to always vary a great deal if you're hiring a photographer who does this professionally and who has experience who has a real portfolio who has a real client base you can expect for a full day shoot to start at around two thousand dollars Okay. and then you know go up from there depending on the scope of the shoot and depending on terms of use and other factors as well okay. now that will typically only be the photographer's fee you know if you want a model that's a separate fee if you want hair and makeup there's a separate fee for each of those people as well some photographers will charge studio fees equipment fees etc cetera, etc cetera. so okay. it, it's hard to really come up with a solid number. But I think that being prepared to spend two grand uh, just for the photographer's full day, that's a good starting place. That's in line, especially with New York City within the photography market here for Mm -hmm. somebody who is a professional. That's a good starting place. And that's a fee where you can really feel comfortable with uh, the person that you're hiring. And I don't think that your marketing and your branding is the thing that you should ever rush. Mm
1: -hmm. I think
2: you're better off getting, you know, great product photography and you can't, if you can't afford anything else, sticking to that until you can. Because it's an absolute waste of money to produce mediocre uh, marketing materials or branding it's just uh, there is no point in doing so and if anything you've wasted money and you've potentially harmed your uh brand's uh, image Mm
1: -hmm.
2: rather than Mm -hmm. done anything positive for it so Mm -hmm. i think it's always better to just wait until you can seriously invest in those things and we live in an environment now where people who are starting out um you know, they'll get great product photography so that they can put it on their e-commerce platform. And they'll wait a very long time before they do any more than that because they're, you know, hustling for sales on something like Instagram. You know, if you're selling a piece of jewelry for, let's say, two $300, and you can do so on a, you know, person-to-person basis via Instagram, you can start building a business that way without having to invest in much more than, you know, just good product photography so you can actually show the thing off and then playing that instagram game of taking great lifestyle photos and you know doing all of that work
1: mm-hmm. right yeah so really great photography is is basically the anchor the, a good starting point for any brand whether they're you know a big successful brand like you said Cartier, or a small mm-hmm. startup who is making, um, you know, jewelry for under three hundred dollars. That's you know. Absolutely. Even, yeah. 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 Okay.
2: We live in a visual society. You know, that's just what it is. So it's really important to have the visuals down, and you need to be able to, you know, show at least. Uh, high quality product photography so that people mm-hmm. know exactly you know, what they're purchasing from you and they, so that they feel a greater degree of comfort uh, making a purchase from you, especially mm-hmm. if they'll never have the opportunity to see the thing in person.
1: Right, right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Which for so,
2: most young designers, that's the case. You're not in stores across the country starting out. You're likely selling mainly via trunk shows and your website. You know, that kind of thing, or uh, if maybe on top of that you're doing trade shows where a, you know, slightly broader audience then get to see your designs and get to know you on a personal level. But mm-hmm. you know, you're typically when you're starting out not in a position where you can say to somebody in Tennessee, "Oh, go to that store and you'll see my product in there," you know. Right. That's right. not going to be the case.
1: You've given us so much valuable information behind the product of photography, and mm-hmm. um, you know what what a designer and what a brand should expect from the photography, mm-hmm. and as well mm-hmm. as how how it can be used. And so it's been a really great, informative conversation. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with? Um, listeners that would be helpful as far as branding and photography i think we covered a lot yeah
2: i think i think we did uh one last thing that i would say to anybody looking uh to hire a photographer find and work with people who already produce work you love Mm -hmm. I think that is so important and it's something that a lot of people don't consider. They'll find, you know, very talented photographers who do something uh, very specific, who have a very specific point of view and style, and they'll ask them to do something that isn't really within their comfort zone. And Mm -hmm. you end up with, you know, even if the photographer is great and extremely talented, you'll end up with an end result that is not what could have been. So, and and not as good as what you and your brand really deserve making that kind of investment. Mm -hmm. So look for for somebody who already makes work that uh, produces work that makes you swoon and where you can see yourself, you know, and your voice and your brand within those images that that photographer produces.
1: There's no reason working with someone who doesn't relate to your aesthetic or your story. Exactly. Yeah.
2: Exactly. So. You'll be saving yourself mm-hmm. and the photographer a lot of headaches.
1: Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you shared with me that you're very busy and your your schedule is full. But if someone wanted to reach out to you and um, have a consultation with you to discuss hiring you as their mm-hmm. photographer, if they feel like your mm-hmm. work, um, and you can find Alon on uh, Instagram, Tell us your Instagram handle so people can find you.
2: It's just my name. It's Alain Simic, and that is spelled A-L-A-I-N-S-I-M-I-C. And uh, you can email me through Instagram, and I've got a link to my website on my Instagram account as well. My website is just uh, myname.com. And if you want to set up uh, a chat or a consultation feel free to email me and we'll take it from there.
1: Okay, great. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much, Alon. It's been a pleasure getting to talk to you this week and last week. And I love sharing um, your background and your your experience is going to be so valuable to people listening. So I really appreciate it. Thank you so uh, thank much. Thank
2: you so much, Brenna, for having me. Thank you for giving me the uh, opportunity.
0: Oh, it's my pleasure. I hope you enjoyed my visit with Elan. I found him so interesting, intelligent, compassionate, and kind, and look forward to when we can meet in person sometime. He's in New York. I'm in Virginia. We'll make that happen once all of this is finished. But in closing, I just want to say that jewelry is the treasure through which we tell our stories. As an experienced fashion and product photographer, Alan's perspective helps amplify the message and visions of his clients through relevant product images and branding campaigns. And even though this time of COVID-19 quarantine is restricting, especially for an industry that relies on personal experience, now is a great time to review and reflect on your branding message, visions, and direction. I found Alon's advice a reminder of how an image says so much without words and how important quality images are to a brand's story and to its potential perceptions, especially on one's website. If you'd like to start a conversation with Alon about working with him on your photography and branding, reach out to him by email or DM on Instagram. and. He does continue to work remotely, taking careful considerations and precautions from his studio. You can find his email address on his website, which is Alan simic, and that's spelled A-L-A-I-N-S-I-M-I-C dot com. All one word. And you can follow him on Instagram at alonsimage. Same spelling. While our recorded conversation was a few weeks ago, I am truly grateful to Alon for taking time with me. He's highly respected and regarded as one of the best fashion and jewelry photographers among well-known and emerging jewelry brands. Next week, I'm going to be exploring ways we can continue to support our shopping and jewelry needs by working with online options, and the jewelry designers and stores that are still doing that and sharing stories of some of the brick and mortar stores who are still working to serve their customers and communities. If you have a story of an exceptional independent jewelry store or designer who is doing their best to serve their customers and accounts, reach out to me and tell me about them. I love sharing their stories some that come to mind are beauty lounge in summit new jersey they're doing such a cool thing by delivering um in a really cool car at least that's what it shows on the instagram i think she said she's delivering in her jeep Benalts in austin texas and in my neck of the woods in fredericksburg virginia voted best in this area Almond's jewelry owned by the same family and in its 93rd year of business. These and many more small businesses are working remotely or from location as permitted, and they're doing what they can to serve their customers and communities. And I'm thrilled to learn about what and how people are doing to continue to serve and celebrate even in a time of crisis. So with that, it's time to deplane from this episode. And remind everyone to be kind to yourselves, to others, and cross-check your sparkle. Wear your jewelry, even though we're in a time of flux and every day is kind of on repeat. Wear your sparkle and celebrate. Talk to you next time. Bye-bye.